0: Go ahead and have a seat as we gather together. We do so remembering what it is that Jesus did for us tonight. We're going to talk about that in just a second, and we can discuss the ins and the outs of what I want to share with you later on this week if you'd like to. Uh, we're all welcome to sit down. But this is our time. I mean, in a couple of days, we're gonna be gathered together and we're gonna be singing, you know, gloriously up from the grave he arose, and what a joy that is. But this is the time of the year when we need to stop and, and we just choose to to take Friday and say, hey, look, let's remember what he went through and, and begin to ask ourselves some questions. I I've just been processing through things this past year, and this is my 28th year of ministry, and, and one of the things that I've been processing is, how many different times, or how many different ways, in 28 years can you share a number of the stories that are just specific to a season of the year? How many different ways in 28 years can you make Christmas, Christmas? How many uh, different ways in 28 years can you make Easter, Easter? How many different ways in 28 years can you say they crucify Jesus um, and, and, and get together. But it's okay, because one of the things that we're doing is gathering together to remember, and that's the important part, is that, that we take the time, and it doesn't have to be a season. It can be a, a number of different times, honestly, in a, in a given year. We can do it as often as we want. But the fact of the matter is that we're invited to just stop and say, let's take time And press into and think about what it was Jesus did. And honestly, if you want to jump in and and read that, um, you can look at Isaiah 52 and 53. They're just at the end of 52 and then all of Isaiah 53. It just powerfully talks about Jesus and what he went through as, as, as he dwelt in his humanity on this earth. So when we think about what Jesus did for you and I, we need to recognize he didn't do it in the power of his glory. He did it in the weakness of his humanity. He went to the cross in the weakness of his humanity. He did not have the power of heaven just surging and coursing like we might see a Marvel movie um, through his body. We didn't, it wasn't that way. He showed us that he had to die as a perfect human being to pay for our sins. He had to. He he couldn't die as God. He had to die as a man. A man has to die. It's the law of sin and death. Adam and Eve sinned. And therefore, a human being, but it has to be a perfect one, has to pay the price. The blood of bulls and goats only covered the sins of humanity for thousands of years. That's all it did. It's an annual reminder that you and I are sinful people. But Jesus came and took away the debt that we owed, with a price that we could not afford to pay. It wasn't possible. And so I began to pray and say, Lord, 28 years. This is number 28. (laughs) This is the 28th time that I've had the pleasure in a season of sharing, you know, Easter. And God, what do you want to say? What do we talk about tonight? As you and I gather together, having come through a whole lot, maybe facing a whole lot, what, what does God want to say to you and I this evening, this evening? And that's what I want to look at. So let's just pray, invite the Holy Spirit, and I want to jump into these, these things that I have here to share with you. God, we just want to thank you for today. As we come to you, Lord, we want to celebrate, but we're asking you to lead us to the cross, and we don't even know what that means. You said that that if we want to come after you, if we wanted to be your disciple, we needed to, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow after you. And God, we're singing, lead us to the cross. Lead us to our death. Lead us to a place where it's not about us. Lead us to a place where we can rid ourselves of who we are and be filled with who you are that we might make a big difference. Not that we would back down, God, from this world and the lies that's out there in the darkness, but rather as the light, bearers of the light, that when we walk into darkness it has to flee. And so we just ask and pray that you would open up our eyes and be with us this evening. Open up our hearts to who you are and what you want to say to us. God, convict us so that we know that we still have a chance to grow. Challenge us, God, so that we know that we're still following after you. Bring us to the place where we are on our knees and recognizing what you carried for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, uh, this past week, I've just been watching the religious memes that have popped up. You know, I do that. It's kind of a sickness. You're a pastor. You see these things, and there they are. And, and I love watching people share over and over again since Monday. This is the day Jesus did this. This is the day Jesus did that. Tuesday, this is the day Jesus did that. And if you've, if you've been here with us, if this is your home church, you know that since the beginning um, of March, we began to preach just one week out of Jesus' life. Just one week. We took all four Sundays, and we, and we just showed that, like, Even in the book of John, from John 12 to John 20 is one week of Jesus' life. It's just one week. That's how important this week is and what Jesus had to do. And a lot of what Jesus had to do was teaching. He opened up his heart, he spent time with his disciples, and he taught them. But I want to talk about this one week as we understand it. Because you have be seen people say today, today at three o'clock, Jesus was doing this on the cross. I want to challenge that just a little bit, okay? Uh, and you don't have to take my word for it. Go to bible.org. I think that's where it is, biblestudy.org. Um, because what you've got to do is you've got to take all the accounts of the gospel. Matthew's gospel. Matthew can write a gospel because Matthew was there. He watched it all. You can um, uh, look into Mark's gospel because Mark was there. He wrote what he saw. And you can look into John. John's gospel John was there as a matter of fact if you go to 1st John chapter 1 verse 1 it literally says the things that we share with you are things that we've seen things that we've heard we were there for them and so we share them with you and John's desire is that you would believe but let's just let's just jump forward a little tiny bit okay Jesus comes into Jerusalem and I'm going to take you to, t- to Tuesday a couple of thousand years ago. Because it'll be on Tuesday that they observed that Passover that year. Passover is a special time for the Jewish people. And it just so happened that they were gathering together. It's a high holy day. All of, of the males are expected to be at temple at some point. It's kind of a Mecca for them. As Jesus comes in, things are going well. He anticipates. He wants to. If you're familiar with the story, he sends his disciples to go get the colt so that he can ride in on it. So that, and then he says to the disciples um, the next day, I want you to go find this man. He's prepared a room. Go tell him that we're going to be the ones using the room. That's how it's going to be. So, on Tuesday of that year, thousands of years ago, is when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper or the Passover, as he knew it, with his disciples. Okay? We got to do the math here because it has to come out right. It absolutely has to come out right. So, if he observed that on Tuesday, the Passover, then Tuesday night he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and he began to pray. And so, Wednesday, just after midnight in the morning would have been when the soldiers came and arrested him. So he's arrested on Wednesday, and then he has to go through a number of different trials. Early in the morning, he gets bounced back and forth from the high priest to Herod to Pilate, and he gets bounced back and forth until somewhere around eight o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, Pilate tries to release Jesus, and they won't have any of it, the Jews won't have any of it, and they decide they want him killed. And then he's like, well, I, I can give you Barabbas. And they're like, we want Jesus. And they're like, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And they're like, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Because the, 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 uh, lead, the spiritual leaders want him dead. So at approximately 8 a.m., Herod and Pilate are trying to release Jesus. At 9 o'clock, we recognize that Jesus is led through time. 9 o'clock in the morning, okay, on Wednesday morning. On Wednesday morning. Nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus is led through Jerusalem and he's dragging his cross. Now, some people will say that he's dragging the physical whole cross. And some people will say, no, 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 he's dragging the cross beam because the the Romans would leave poles up to crucify people on because you don't want to keep uh, uh, digging holes and putting the main beam back in it. And then what they would do is lift him up on both sides after he's nailed to the cross beam and then settle the cross beam on top of the vertical. And that's what takes his elbow or his shoulders out of joint. Okay? And again... It's theology. It's philosophy of what happened scripturally. But we look at this picture and we see Jesus dragging the whole cross or the cross beam of the cross that he's going to be nailed on through Jerusalem. According to Isaiah, he has already been beaten beyond the image of a human being. He does not look like a man. He is so bloody. His flesh is so torn that he can't carry it anymore. And so they grab a hold of Simon, Simon the Cyrene who happens to be there with his two sons, Alexander and Rufus. But they're there for Passover. And they see something going on, and they, this guy's dragging this cross, and clearly he's a criminal because this is what you do to criminals. And so the Romans grab Simon and say, you have to carry the cross. And that's a forgotten character in the crucifixion. Nobody preaches about Simon the Cyrene that, that had to carry Jesus' cross for him. But it's in the biblical, biblical account of people that saw it. And so, he drags this cross, I don't know who was watching the boys, but he drags this cross up to Golgotha, and they, they nail Jesus on it at approximately 9 o'clock in the morning. And then begins the mocking and the humiliation, and Jesus giving instruction to his disciple John. Now, let's just understand that I appreciate the Catholic Church and, and the makers of fine jewelry everywhere that put a, a, a wrap on Jesus' physical body. I appreciate that. Modesty is never out of season, Okay. But we need to understand that it was the Roman cultural way of doing things to crucify him stark naked. The purpose is to humiliate him. Remember, it was unusual that he was nailed to the cross instead of tied to the cross. Where he would just have to suffer day in, day out, day in, day out. A very slow, agonizing death where he he physically, eventually, would have suffocated to death is what would have killed him but they hang him on ropes so that he can cry and wail and everybody can say, whoa, if you get out of line, that's what the Romans are going to do to you, so don't get out of line, see? And when people came by, there he was hanging on the road to Walmart, if you want to put it that way, in the most obvious place so that he could be a spectacle, and and he was not clothed. His clothes were getting ready to be um, gambled for, the Scripture will say. That's what they were going to do. And so, there's Jesus hanging on that cross being humiliated in front of his mom, in front of everybody. Sometime around noon, the scripture will tell us that darkness began to cover the, la- the, the land. From noon, from the, from the sixth hour, so yeah, the sixth hour until the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon, you would have had some sort of an eclipse or God just darkened everything. It was just dark. Remember what day we're on? Wednesday. Wednesday is what, what day we're on. Around 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the ninth hour, Jesus cries out in, and dies. The temple curtain is torn from the top to the bottom. You say, is that significant? Sure it is. Because once again, God is doing things in such a manner that you can't say somebody tore the temple curtain. You can't. The temple curtain was this thick. Thick. This way. It was that thick. Thick okay it weighed something a little over one curtain something a little over 300 pounds it was 15 by 15 that's how feet that's how big it was and it was torn from the top to the bottom And the purpose of, of them stating that over and over again is to say only god could have torn that curtain and what it did is it lets us into the most holy place that only the priest could go and only once a year you and i have the right to come the curtain was torn the book of Hebrews will explain that to us, but we need to understand that. And then, Jesus dies. Something else I don't hear a lot about is that the tombs give up um, the lives of uh, the bodies of holy people. You don't hear that talk. You hear about Jesus being resurrected. You hear about Jesus walking around on the earth. You hear about Jesus talking about it. But you don't often hear people who read the Scripture and say, look, I was there. Those tombs, that ground, I'm, we're talking T-W-D, Okay. Those of you that know that, I'm talking the walking dead. It says these people got up and walked around, the the, the holy people. I'm I'm not making this up. Just what the scripture says. Going into our Easter sermon, I believe it. I believe it. Okay? And so that's what's going on. So Jesus dies. Just before sunset, Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy leader and a ruler, one of the members of the ruling council, comes and asks for Jesus' body because it needs to be buried because the next day... This is how we know it's not on, on Friday. The next day was a special Sabbath. See, Jesus had the Passover meal, but then there was a special Sabbath, according to the book of John. And so, as, as uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea shows up just before sunset on Wednesday to grab a hold of his body, a gentleman that we learned uh, uh, things about from John chapter 3 by the name of Nicodemus shows up with Joseph of Arimathea, and he helps him. It's important to understand that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of spice and incense so that they could bury Jesus' body. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, I put on some weight in COVID. I really don't want to be buried with an extra 75 pounds. I just want to be as trim as possible so that the trumpet blows, I'm out of there, and nobody can get in front of me, okay? The dead in Christ are going to rise, and I intend to come up out of the dirt if I don't get to rise after them because I'm still here on the earth. I believe that stuff. I really do. Thursday, excuse me, is the special Sabbath. Jewish leaders have the tomb sealed and guarded because they think that they might come steal the body and say, oh, look, he rose from the dead. Okay. And they want to make sure that that does not happen. Okay. Friday is a quiet day. But it's also headed into a Sabbath, so you don't hear anything about Friday and Saturday. Friday at 6 o'clock in the evening all the way till Saturday at 6 o'clock in the evening is a normal Sabbath. And then on the first day of the week, on Sunday morning, they go to the tomb and the tomb is empty. Now, I'm telling you it's Wednesday because Jesus said that he had to be in the tomb for three days. Just as Noah, excuse me, Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. So from Wednesday, you've got all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then on Sunday morning, the tomb's empty. That's the only way it fits for them to come in on Sunday, on the first day of the week. That's their first day of the week is Sunday, not Monday, and to find Jesus. And that's his life from Wednesday to Sunday that day. That wraps up our sermon series that's not a series. That's what it's called, Not a Series that talks about the whole week from the day he entered Jerusalem till his crucifixion. And this wraps that up right now. That's what was going on. The tomb is empty. Tuesday night he was praying in the garden and he asked God, please take this cup, Lord, if there is any other way to save Joe Wood. Please, let's find that way instead. But not my will be done, Lord. Lord, if this is the only way to do it, he said, I'm going to do it. The book of Hebrews says, who but for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of grace. You're the joy set before him. You are. That cross wasn't joyful. You're the joyful. You're the joy that he was looking at. And it's important that we lay on that. You see, there was a time when Jesus said to his disciples, Have you been with me so long and you still don't understand what was going on? Because this wasn't the disciples' plan. Jesus hanging on the cross was not the disciples' plan. Their plan was kick the Romans out, set up a government, call a a, a capital, and, and let's set up offices, and can I please be in charge? James and John still thought it was an earthly kingdom when they were jockeying for positions in his cabinet. When Thomas the doubter is the one that said, He's going to die. It's all a waste of time. Let's go to Jerusalem so that we can die with him. And remember, he's the one that said, I don't believe until he shows up here. But he was still willing to go die with him. The disciples were astonished at Jesus' power over disease, blindness, crippledness, insight to the thoughts of men, the depth of the Word of God, miracles, the feeding of people, the loving of people, and the offending of people because Jesus was, was no, he was not careful he offended people and he knew he was doing it but the point being these were disciples that watched him be crucified these were disciples that reported to you and i i was there i saw that happen and i'm telling you it's the truth they walked with god honestly they should have known right He kept saying over and over and over and over again, this is what's going to happen. Three and a half years, they were stride for stride, miracle for miracle. They even cast out demons and healed people themselves when he sent them out. And they came back and said, you're never going to believe it. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't try to convince me of that. Let's just be glad that your, your names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's more important than casting out demons and doing miracles. So how do you describe walking with God when it's wednesday and your jesus is hanging on a cross how do you describe that i keep trying to put myself inside the disciples minds or hearts or or position just just the sickness that i have of trying to say if i was there and there's jesus hanging on the cross and you're looking up at him and everything for the last three and a half years that you've given your life for is gone Everything that you have bet your whole 401k on, gone. How do you describe walking with Jesus right into that crucifixion when that was not what you were hoping for? Because sometimes that's where we find ourselves, don't we? We find ourselves on Wednesday. It suddenly has gotten dark and the dark is real. Sometimes there are dark days that we wish never had dawned. It's like, God, why did I have to get out of the bed this morning? Why did I have to face this this morning? Why did I get rejected and my spouse left me this morning? Why did I lose my job this morning? Why did somebody run into me this morning? Why did I lose my temper this morning? We have dark days, don't we? Days when we feel like we're looking at the cross and Jesus is still dead and who's going to help us now? Yeah, we have days like that. We all do. But we've got to understand that there's, there's a place in which we've got to stop and say, what does it mean to walk with Jesus? And the, and the, and the crucifixion story, the, the gift of Christ on that cross... There's something for us to grab a hold of there when I'm looking at that, because this is what I want to share with you. This is what I believe the Lord says. Sit down and share this, and I'm going to wrap it up. Walking with God means sometimes, that's the heading, walking with God means sometimes we do things we don't want to. That's what it means. In the book of Matthew chapter 27, it says, As evening approached, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb. He had already dug a hole in the side of a hill for his own death. And he put Jesus in there. That he had cut out of the rock. He rolled the big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. There's the tomb. And they came and they sat right here so they can stare at the rock. Sometimes following Jesus means that we go to Pilate and we ask for the body. And I don't know if you remember this or not. But the next day later on the the disciples are going to be in the upper room locked in for fear of the Jews. Sometimes we do things that scare us because we're walking with Jesus. Sometimes we do things that humble us because we're walking with Jesus. Sometimes we go to where Jesus is and it doesn't make sense because we're walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus sometimes means that we give when it doesn't make sense. It's one thing to pour into a ministry that is working and happening and Jesus is out there healing people and casting out demons and making bread like, like, like he was, you know, the Wonder Bread Factory. Just cranking it out in 12 baskets and feeding, you know, all these thousands, almost 10,000 people. And yet, we're going to give to that. It's going to happen. But what about giving to Jesus after he dies? What? The ministry leader is dead, and he's in a hole in the ground with a rock rolled over in front of it. And the Scripture says, he, that being Joseph of Arimathea, was accompanied by Nicodemus, the guy that earlier visited Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody to know that he believed. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds worth so that they could bury Jesus. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. And this was in, in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Sometimes walking with Jesus means we give when it doesn't make sense. God, I'm not sure about this. But here's my time. God, I'm not sure about this, but here's my myrrh. God, I'm not sure about this, but here's my best yes. God, I don't always understand, but I know that I can trust your word, so yes, I will give of myself. Not just your money, your gifts, your talents. Man, we could be at home chilling and they're up here playing and leading us to the cross. Sometimes When it doesn't make sense, we still do it. And then the last thing that I just want to put in your lap for you this evening is sometimes walking with God means that we go when we're told to go. When he says, go therefore into all the world, and you have to tell the people when you're leaving. Remember that guy they crucified a couple of days ago? week ago? He said, go therefore into all the world. And so we're going to be missionaries and we're going to leave And they said well that doesn't make any sense He's dead No he's alive That doesn't make any sense either Because that doesn't happen What do you mean alive I watched them kill him and bury him We saw him alive And so sometimes it means that we go The angel of the Lord In Matthew 28 said to the women Don't be afraid For I know that you are looking for Jesus Who was crucified He's not here He's not here He's not dead. He's not still on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He's not here. He's risen just as he said. Come and see where he was. Come and see where he used to be. Come and see where he hung out while he was down in hell preaching to those that died in the days of Noah. Come see where his body laid when he abandoned it before he came back and filled it and raised that physical body from the dead. Come here. Come see where he was and then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you, ladies. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid. You want me to go tell Peter and John that Jesus rose from the dead, that the tomb was open and empty and that some guy said that he's alive, but you know, I didn't see him. You want me to be the one to bear that news and look stupid. Yeah. Don't be afraid. That's what he said. Why does he have to tell her not to be afraid? Because I don't want to be the one sharing that information. They're going to lock you up. He says, so the women hurried from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Sometimes following Jesus means we go When we're told to go, where do you find yourself in this whole story tonight? Because John says this about his account of Jesus' life. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. This is what our worship leader, MJ, read to us just a little bit. But John says, I wrote this whole letter to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. You might be saved from hell, but saved into a persisos life. John 10 10. A persisos life. Yeah, John was there. John saw it all. He saw it all. We don't understand Paul's interaction with Jesus, but this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the church in Corinth. And this is what we preach. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, remember, this is at the Passover meal. And in the same way, after supper, he took up that cup, that one um, community communion cup, that one cup that had wine in it. It had real wine in it. And, And saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes I got to share with the worship team and I'm getting to the place right now where I really enjoy sharing communion with the worship team ahead of time so that they can play for us during communion and I hope that as you walked in you got one of these and if you didn't you can run run like the wind and go get one But on the night that he was arrested, he took up that bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. So peel off just the clear plastic first. Took me a long time to figure these things out. And take this little wafer out that's made with unleavened bread. I'd like to call it a cookie, but it's not really a cookie because there's no sugar in it. If it was a cookie, there would be sugar. But this bread represents the body of Jesus. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I think they broke off a hunk. I don't think they got a little tidbit, a little mouse bit. I think they got a hunk, you know. But that's okay. That's okay. We remember that this bread from the Passover Seder meal represents the body of the lamb that was taken into the house that was broken and killed, excuse me, for our salvation. And that's what Jesus did. He said, this pays the penalty for your sin. You don't have to pay the penalty over and over. We don't take this to get rid of sin. We take this to remember that we don't have to take this to get rid of sin. That's why. Because Jesus paid the price that did not cover our sin. It paid completely for our sin. 2,000 years ago, he said, this is my body. Take and eat and remember The horrible price that was paid for our salvation. This frees us from the law of sin and death. Let's eat it. As Jesus is in the Passover meal and he breaks the body and he says here your sins are paid for this is going to be my body your sins are paid for you are now at that point debt free in your relationship to God but you're an orphan you're an orphan God knows who you are but you're an orphan that taking that that bread freed you From 613 commandments, which we call the law of sin and death, of which the Ten Commandments are the core, the center. That's paid for. But but the Lord said that take this cup and drink. This cup is the cup of, he said, a new covenant. Therefore, with all due respect to, to years of broken churchdom, you and I are not beholden to Old Testament covenants except the Davidic covenant that is yet to come. We've been set free. This blood is why you and I are allowed to eat pork barbecue sandwiches. Seriously. Because if you're going to say we have to be beholden to 613 commandments, you can't eat pork barbecue sandwiches. No pig. It's in the Bible it's there you do not have to ever take my word for it but Jesus said this cup is a cup of the new covenant this cup makes us children it welcomes us back into the family we're adopted back in we're brothers and sisters with Jesus we're children of God with rightful um, um, positions you know in the Jewish law that if, if, if a child gets adopted in he can never ever ever be kicked out of the family i'm not making that up a natural born member of the family can be kicked out but an adopted member of the family can never ever ever be kicked out i learned that in studying what it means to be adopted back into the family of god and that's the way it is in the flesh you're in this brought us back home This says welcome. This is God standing on the porch and and seeing us, and he's running out to us with a cup that says, drink this quick. My son is home. My daughter is home. Jesus said, drink this. This is my blood. You are now members of the family because what I did for you, because I love you, because love is not an emotion. It's a verb. It's physically what you do. And Jesus was about to let them willingly let them do horrible things to his physical body. You know why? Because he loved you. At your worst, he loved you. At your best, he didn't love you anymore, because he, he paid a price that you can't top. He went all in for you. He doesn't have anything more because he gave everything he had, his life. So take and drink this, and recognize as you do it, that you are welcomed back in too the family of God come Holy Spirit God who is our father in heaven we come to you and we say thank you thank you for the free gift that is ours through the the willing the willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ God he willingly left his throne in heaven he willingly came down here he willingly subjected himself to temptation and suffering he willingly did not yield he willingly lived a perfect life he willingly allowed himself to be arrested he willingly God kept his mouth shut and still like a sheep led to slaughter let them do horrible things to him and as the wrath of God was poured out upon him oh God He robed me in his righteousness and called me his own. And for that tonight, I am thankful. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. In as much as we can, God, we bless you. Amen.